This is Roger Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, sponsored by Penske Truck Rental. IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-V. We are proud and honored to have both Penske Truck Rental and Hy-V sponsoring Pit Pass Indy. We will continue to cover the entire NTT IndyCar Series community, and our partners at Penske Truck Rental and Hy-V will help us tell those stories. It was a wild weekend on the streets of Nashville as Kyle Kirkwood of Andretti Autosport won the big machine Music City Grand Prix in what he called a phenomenal race. It was his second career IndyCar Series victory, both coming this season. It was also an important race in the battle for the NTT IndyCar Series Championship. Chip Ganassi Racing's Alex Pillow entered the weekend with an 80-point lead over Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden. Pelot was running third late in the race, but wasn't going to make it to the finish without a splash-and-go pit stop if the race remained green. Newgarden was right on his tail and was in prime position and cut into Pelot's points lead once Pelot made his final stop. But on lap 71 of the 80-lap race, Meyershank racing driver Linus Lundquist, driving in his first IndyCar Series race, crashed in the turn 11 wall to bring out the yellow flag. By running reduced speeds for a few laps, it allowed Pelot to save enough fuel to make it to the finish in third place and actually gain four more points on Newgarden. Pelot's lead is now a whopping 84 points with four races remaining, beginning with Saturday's Gallagher Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Pit Pass Indy made a pass through pit lane immediately after the race and caught up with both Newgarden and Pillow after they climbed out of their race cars on Sunday. First up is my interview with Pillow. Clicking them off. I mean, right now it's just a matter of counting the races. So, 84 points, you got to feel really good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I feel good. Um, could have been a lot worse of a day today uh, for how we started the race. Let's say we started really good, but after the first call. But um, yeah, really happy being here uh, and time to push a bit more. You had to be happy as hell to see those cautions. At the oh, end. man, I, I was like, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, um, we were a bit lucky today. We have to say that. Yeah. And now let's hear from a hot, tired, and disappointed Joseph Newgarden on what could have been a very big day in the points race. Surprise! I mean, those cautions in the red flag hadn't really turned the race upside down. Uh, yeah, I mean, because he was going to have. To. You know, look when it's when you're when it's <laughs> when things are going your way, they're going your way, yeah. and I feel like that's sort of the situation we're in um, this year. You can't control that stuff, so yeah, it just didn't play in our favor as far as you know how we we um, we strategized. But it's impossible to predict these things, so you know it, it played out the way it did. Yeah, and 84 points. I mean, hell, it could have gotten down to 50 if he had to sit at the end. But 84, almost kind of like a wash. That yeah, is what it is, right? You know. I mean, but right now you're counting the races, so that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you're, you can only do what you can do. You know, today we had fourth. And how hot was it? In- it was hot, really hot. You know, just typical Nashville. Thank you. Of course, the driver who celebrated the most was race winner Kyle Kirkwood. 
Here's my exclusive interview with the winner of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix for Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee, you recalled the real deal after your victory at the Acura Grand Prix in Long Beach by your team owner, Michael Andretti. Well, now you've gotten your second career NTT IndyCar Series victory. It's Kyle Kirkwood, driver of the Auto Nation Honda at Andretti Autosport, the big winner of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville. And I got to tell you, it looked like you really had that race under control today. Yeah, I mean, it was super controlled. Um, and it was controlled mostly from, from my pit stand, to be honest. Uh, Brian did a fantastic job. 27 crew was phenomenal in the pits. Um, engineers gave me a phenomenal car. Um, Honda gave us best fuel economy and and uh, power, I think, out there. So um, everything was kind of playing in our favor. So it really felt in control when you kind of control all those aspects. So yeah, it, it was a it was a good day t for us. It, it wasn't a ton of hard work for me, you know. And those are <laughs> that's what I guess me. Whenever you win a race, you feel like it's easy after you win, but. I'd have to say the team made it really easy on me today because of how good everything played out based on their decisions. I believe you used the term phenomenal today. What was it about the entire day that was so phenomenal? I mean, the car was perfect. Barely had to adjust anything to get everything right. The um, strategy was perfect. We were on the right strategy. We went as long as possible. We made we had to make a split-second decision based on a cording tire at one point, and we called that right because when I stopped, I looked. I was like, yep, that's corded. We, we made all the right decisions today. Everything worked out flawlessly, um, and we overcame the adversity at the end of the race. So, You started eighth and ended up leading the most laps in the race with 34. How were you able to get through the field as easily as you did in that first stint to get up to the lead? Um, you know, we were one of the first cars on primary tires. That obviously helped later on in the stint. I was able to pass some guys. Um, I actually fell back on the start, then made two positions back within the same lap, um, or I guess technically lap two since we crossed the start finish line so quickly. So that was... That was good. Um, we got up into seventh really quick. Guys were falling off on greens really, really early. So we picked those guys off, both me and Roman, to the point where I think we we're kind of running. Uh, we were running first and second, and and we were the first cars on primary tires. So that worked out well for us. So yeah, that that's uh, that was the main thing is is the tire difference in the beginning of the race. I think is what allowed me to get by some some of the guys, and then the pit strategy too. And then once the pit stops cycled through. I believe you said you didn't have to really pass anybody. It just cycled right back into you being in the lead. How did that, how do you make that happen? So, so the, the, the first stop that we made, we went one of the longest, we went longer than Roman, at least than the guys that we're competing against um, at the time. We went longer than Roman, overcut him, and then we ran into the back of, of Palo, who was just on a super save, um, and he did a great job saving fuel, keeping us behind him and staying in the lead, but ultimately he was on a different strategy um, that obviously worked out for him, given that he finished third. Um, yeah, so so that's what, that, that's what happened there. And then the second stop, um, we had to stop early because of the greens falling off, but we had just outright pace to stay in the lead after Palo stopped, we went long, stopped and came out and we were still in the lead. So it worked out pretty well. In your words, you said all the drivers were expecting it to be Crashville, but for most of the race, it wasn't until the very end, the last 10 laps when you ended up with a caution period with about 10 to go. And then later another crash on a restart, which caused the yep. red flag to come out. Was it a situation where you thought not a matter of if there's going to be a yellow, but when? Yeah, um, no doubt. It seemed like for sure things were going way too smooth, <laughs> especially in that last stint where it was just green for a long period of time. You know, th this race in the past has been a lot of crashing. And last year, I think only 11 or cars finished on the lead lap. And most of those cars were out of the race. So a lot of people felt like, oh, well, if I just circulate, not do anything crazy, then I'm going to get nearly a top 10 finish. Um, so I feel like that was probably the mentality of most people. And um, that's why you saw maybe some hesitancy and less crashing today. 
quick turnaround next Saturday. It's the Gallagher Grand Prix on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, a race you could probably win. So how do you prepare for a race that's just now six days off? Um, you know, when you're driving nonstop, you feel pretty prepared. Um, you know, I'll take probably tomorrow off, which is Monday, and and then go into the week kind of training, prepar- prep- uh, preparing for the Speedway. It's nice because I got an apartment in Indy and I can just go in and out of the shop and and get the proper preparation that, that I should have uh, leading into the NDGP where hopefully we've got a really good, good, strong car. Last year, they were really good in the second race. Um, so hopefully that translates. So if you're taking Monday off, I imagine tonight in Nashville, it's going to be Broadway Avenue beware. Uh, potentially, uh, or m- maybe somewhere near near Colton Herta. But as far though as being able to celebrate this win, I know your family was here, your girlfriend's here, a lot of uh, friends are here. That's got to really be something that you really love to share with the people that are closest. No doubt. You know, I, I had no one with me at Long Beach, if I'm being honest, because everyone's in Florida and it's like, oh man, that's that's a hike to get out to Long Beach. Uh, this one's a lot closer. And, and with the success that we've had on street courses, even though we haven't gotten some of the fishings, finishes that we deserve, this was a, a top list for the remaining races for, for me to win. Um, so it was nice to have my parents out. It's nice to have my girlfriend out because we're able to celebrate them together. He lived up to the nickname, The Real Deal. Kyle Kirkwood, driver of the number 27 Auto Nation Honda and Andretti Autosport. Congratulations for winning the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. And good luck next week at the Gallagher Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and High V. Thank you. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or... For household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and High V. Prior to the start of the race weekend, IndyCar and officials of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix made a major announcement at Nashville Underground in the city's famed entertainment district on Broadway Avenue. Beginning in 2024, the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix will become the final race of the season on the NTT IndyCar Series schedule. Next year's IndyCar champion will be crowned on the streets of Nashville instead of WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca in Monterey, California. That event will remain on the schedule, but will likely be shifted to a date in March 2024. Also, a new course will be designed, taking it away from its current layout that goes around Nissan Stadium, home of the NFL's Tennessee Titans. The new course will run down Broadway Avenue in front of the famed bars, restaurants, and honky-tonks that have made Nashville one of the greatest destination cities in the United States. 
hit pass in. He was at the announcement and got the reaction of drivers Colton Herta, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, and Big Machine President and CEO Scott Borchetta. First up is Herta, who moved to Nashville seven months ago. I think it looks great. Um, obviously, it's it's a bit different. It's a little bit more basic than the, than the course that we have now, um, but I think it'll prove to be much better with racing and, and hopefully a lot cleaner, um, and that's what, what we want. And obviously, the big thing, coming down Broadway, that's going to be really cool, um, mostly for spectators, right, to have that ability to, to grab a, a drink at the bar and hang out on the rooftop and be able to watch an IndyCar race is, is pretty awesome and kind of unseen from, from a lot of tracks. So, um, yeah, it's... It looks awesome and, and really gonna, cool. It's going to actually feel like you're actually racing in Nashville now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I felt like that before. I mean, we're really close to downtown, but to to be able to go down Broadway is like the biggest thing, and it's super cool that, that everybody involved got it done. Yeah. Speeds, they talked to mention in there that you'll be going over the bridge faster because it'll be a faster entry. Yeah. The only, the only part that's going to be pretty gnarly is going to be turn four now. Um, going through that little kink right-hander. We've seen what, what it can do to guys when they bought them out there. You know, Jimmy Johnson a few years ago, Scott McLaughlin last year. Um, you can have pretty big moments. So that's going to make that corner pretty tough because you're going to be entering in sixth gear quite a bit faster than we were before. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think it should be a better race overall, though, for how it's laid out. More of a buzz for a championship than what we've had at Laguna. Yeah, much. it's much better. No offense to Laguna, but the place just wasn't, didn't have the right feel to it for, for a championship event. Um, it's still a great track and, and a great course to have Indy cars at for sure. But, um, you know, if you really want a huge attention grabber, you have to go to a place like this for, for a finale. And I think that's pretty, pretty simple to say for everybody. Let's keep it in Nashville with our next guest, this year's Indianapolis 500 winner, Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske, who lives in nearby Hendersonville, Tennessee. Pretty cool. Really, you know, a big step up um, as far as the event. And, you know, that's amazing because they already, you know, really put together a fantastic event from the very beginning with this this leadership group, all the partners, you know, the city, um, the government, just all the work that, that went in from, you know, our partners as well. You think about Bridgestone, Firestone being so centrally located here in Nashville. And now they've elevated it. You know, they've, I think, to run up and down Broadway is is sort of a dream case scenario and you know the fact that it got done and it's actually happening is uh something i i i never thought we would see well as a kid you used to have to go to indianapolis and newcastle to become a race driver and now a lot of the reason why indycar is so successful here is partly because of you how fortunate do you feel that you've had that big a role in and maybe helping create a new market. Well, it's, you know, tremendous to see the growth of motorsports in Nashville for so many reasons. You know, I like to think that there's been a small interest in my side and, and certainly running, you know, Indy, IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500. But, you know, I think there's, there's big automotive love here in this city, whether it's in automotive manufacturing or it's just motorsports in general. There's a lot of people that are interested in the sport. And it's only grown over the years. And so I think it's a really fitting place for IndyCar to be. They they match each other super well, and and now to elevate it even more and bring the you know the race truly downtown on Broadway, it's a dream scenario. I think it's a place that can be on the calendar for many years to come, um, and it should be a staple. And I think it's considered a staple. And also, Nashville's a big TV market for IndyCar. Yes, they get a, a, a lot of the markets. They, they get a, some of their highest ratings out of Nashville. I think that speaks to the interest in motorsports here. I, I see it when I talk to people. There's huge interest across the board and you know I think it is reflected in the TV ratings there's people that want to be engaged and this event goes a long way to, to giving people that opportunity does this have more of a championship feel a championship vibe to it than say Monterey oh definitely I mean I you know for me it's no contest you know if you're, you're looking to end the season in a great destination I don't know how you can beat Nashville yeah. um, you know this is this is a great part of the country for us and I think it's really accessible to a lot of our fan base and it's going to be a good atmosphere. I mean, no one does it like Nashville does. And so I think we can put on a great party and, and have a really interesting finale where you just don't know what's going to happen. 
One of Newgarden's teammates is two-time and defending IndyCar Series champion Will Power. In his free time, Power likes to play the drums and has appeared with several bands throughout his career. Here is Power talking about the shift to Nashville for the championship finale. What do you think of the new course? In oh, Nashville? yeah. yeah. So it's, you're actually going to be in Nashville. Yeah, pretty amazing. Amazing that we, uh, we get to have a finale here, and it's right downtown, which is crazy, right on Broadway. Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a championship would be good to win. <laughs> They're all good to win, but to have your finale here and win the championship would be really cool. Nothing against uh, Monterey. It's a nice place to go, but it just doesn't really have that championship buzz. This it's, yeah, not enough. Uh, yeah, it's not close enough to a big city. Yeah. This is. I mean, Monterey's awesome. It's got a lot of history there. Uh, I'm still going to look forward to racing there. But here, man, it's amazing. I didn't know about it until I arrived right now. Uh, so, yeah, very uh, pleasantly surprised. Out at the speeds now, going over the bridge, it's going to be a faster entry. Is that cool or scary? On one way, yeah, one direction will be slightly faster, I guess. I mean, I think the distances are going to be pretty similar. You're a music guy. This is yeah. Music City, so how yeah, much yeah. do you appreciate what this city means for oh, entertainment? Yeah, no, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm uh, super excited. Like I said, I already had envisioned winning the championship, going playing the drums in one of the bars. <laughs> Thank you. Big Machine is the major sponsor of the street race in Nashville. President and CEO Scott Borchetta is also a key partner in the ownership group of the Music City Grand Prix. Here is my exclusive interview with Borchetta for Pit Pass Indy. You know what? It was something that Matt talked about. Yeah. And we're the perfect city for it. So as soon as he told me, I'm like, we have to make this happen. Yeah. It was in Nashville the first three years, but now it's really in Nashville. I mean, the heart of Nashville. How special is that for you? No, it's great because, you know, no offense to the track out in Lebanon, but nobody really got to experience Nashville from IndyCar and come downtown and be part of the parties and everything else because these guys are working. You know, we forget, oh, did you get to see this? Like, well, no. So the fact that we're right here and it's not the long drive out to that track and, you know, we're a party in a box. You know, plug in a race this weekend and you've got access to the best party city in America. And how much does it help to have guys like Justin Marks involved? Because I interviewed him last week and he talked about how important it was for Trackhouse to, to be part of this. You know, they're an entertainment brand which focuses on all, all kinds of things. And he just thought it was a natural part of their portfolio to be involved in something like this. Yeah, for sure. And Justin and I have talked a lot about, you know, some of the things that he wants to do. But everything that Big Machine does is entertainment-based, whether it's our record company, whether it's our Xfinity NASCAR team, whether it's our IndyCar race here. You know, everything that we do, you know, it, it's it's all connected. Yeah. And so for that kind of branding, it's great pride for everybody to come to Nashville yeah. and celebrate all things Big Machine. What's it going to be like going up and down Broadway? Insane. It's going to be insane racing up and down Broadway. And how do you have a agreement with the Titans and the NFL so that there's not a game that weekend or on those weekends in the future? Well, everybody works very hard with their schedule. That, that's something that every race series, every yeah. sports series, they all work together to try to make sure that, you know, we're not stepping on yeah. each other. You know, we very specifically knew that George Strait was playing last weekend. You know, it wasn't a surprise. So we knew ahead of time the things that we had to deal with and get ahead of. And, you know, I think there's great understanding among the different series and leagues to make sure we're doing the best thing for each yeah. individual city. You know, can't forget, we're doing this for our city. For one other thing, uh, you know, Justin's going to have that project. 91 back yeah. at the Brickyard with Shane Van Gisbergen has become that like guy's a, a hot piece. commodity. You know, he was so impressive in Chicago. As road racers, we're all watching yeah. him and his braking and rolling speed, that, that's where he, he destroyed everybody yeah. else. He was so spot on with his braking and carried so much speed through the corners that 
he showed our NASCAR best of the best how he gets it done. He was impressive. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Pit Pass City, presented by Penske Truck Rental and High V. Last weekend's big race at Nashville was in the rearview mirror. Let's head up Interstate 65 for the four-hour drive to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for this weekend's big IndyCar NASCAR quadruple header that includes Saturday's Gallagher Grand Prix on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. The Indy Next Series will compete on the road course on Friday. The NASCAR Xfinity Series Pennzoil 150 is Saturday late afternoon. On Sunday, it's the big NASCAR Cup Series race on the IMS road course, the Verizon 200. Team Penske's Scott McLaughlin is one of the leading contenders for this weekend's glory at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the IndyCar Series. McLaughlin joins me for this exclusive interview for Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and High V. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is Team Penske driver Scott McLaughlin. Scott, we're heading to the Gallagher Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You're going to be reunited with one of your buddies who's going to drive in the NASCAR Cup Series race, Shane Van Gisbergen. Came the first driver in 60 years to win his first ever NASCAR Cup Series start at the Chicago Street Race. Racing against, you're not going to be racing against him, but it's going to be the same weekend. And I know you and him have spent many years racing against each other. How thrilled were you to see him win that race? Oh, it was awesome. I think it's just awesome from a uh, perspective of just being a friend and, and, and seeing him, you know, knowing how hard he works and the seeing him succeed was pretty special. And I guess in some ways, you know, you look back, you know, three years ago, we were banging doors and supercars in Australia. Not many people knew really who we were and what we did. And now we've both ended up winning in America. And I think that that's what's really cool. That was what was kind of emotional for me. And, um, and yeah, really proud of him. The reaction that you had after he won, you were chronicling it on your social media. <laughs> it was almost like New Zealand had won the World Cup. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, it was, it was a big moment. I, I might have had a couple of beers too, so I was a little lightheaded, but <laughs> I was, um, the media team don't like that too much, but we, uh, we, we, I had a lot of fun. I enjoy my social media. I enjoy like sharing with the fans a lot. And um, I think people got a kick out of it, but that was just my emotions at the time. It was crazy. It was just an amazing, you know, he, he had an opportunity to win that race and he went out and got it. And, you know, it's, that's what was really cool to watch. It was just a good race. He just passed when he needed to pass and got it done. And um, and that was the Shane I know. Like Shane is just a tenacious racer, someone that studies a lot and works hard and for him to do it, like it was really cool to see. Was it a matter of the emotion from your friendship for Shane or New Zealand pride? A uh, bit of both. Yeah, a bit of both. I think uh, we're both, you know, New Zealand punches above its weight. And it's really cool that, you know, you look at it, we've got three Kiwis this week in an IndyCar who could win the race here, which is really cool. I mean, Scott Dixon won it last year and he's a legend of the sport here in IndyCar. And then you've got, you know, Shane and uh, Brody's going over next week. Uh, Brody Kostecki, he's another supercar racer that I've, I never raced against, but, you know, I know of him quite well. Um, so it's, it's, it's wicked to see and, and we definitely punch above our weight for Down Under. I know a lot of people would love to see Scott McLaughlin drive an NASCAR Cup Series car, whether it be for Team Penske or if you got the opportunity to, to drive for another team. I know that's difficult because of your contract yeah. situation. 
but those cars seem to be much more similar to what you drove in supercars than what you're driving in IndyCar. Yeah, no, I think the the current NASCAR is very similar to what I drove in Australia, just a bit heavier. Um, and Shane's told me that as well. Um, I think all things in good time. You know, I'm working on pretty hard here in, in the IndyCar, but like I think. Uh, Every opportunity I've been given by the by the captain and TC has been good and great for me for my career. So just trust the process and let it let it ride. Has it ever come up in conversation? Oh yeah, I mean at Mid Ohio, I was joking with Roger. I was like, "Put me in, coach. Like, let me have a go." You know, and like I said, trust the process. You know, they know my intentions. They know what I want to do. I'm very happy in IndyCar. I don't want to change. I would love to have a crack. So would everyone out like else. But Roger. Uh, uh, Joseph and Will, we've all asked, but you know, ultimately, you know, it's it's they want to give me the right opportunity too, and you know, I, I they, they've actively said that they want to be better on road courses and get their cars better and, and to give me the right opportunity, and I think, um, you know, I appreciate that, and and um, maybe maybe one day, um, never say never, but it might not happen either. I don't know. It's just like I said, I'm very content. If it does happen or it doesn't happen, I don't really care. Justin Marks, the owner of Trackhouse, said that Scott McLaughlin was the driver he had in mind when he created Project 91. Yep. How well do you know Justin and also how much have you spoken with Justin? I know you couldn't really yeah. take that ride because you drive for Team Penske, yeah. but what's your relationship like and what do you think of what he's doing with Project 91, giving international drivers a chance to drive and experience NASCAR Cup. I think I have a lot of respect for Justin, what he's done with everything. I think he's revolutionizing the way that NASCAR is looked at by the world and how it's uh, marketed. Um, but yeah, Justin was in contact with me a couple of years ago. I can't remember how long ago. Um, and obviously I couldn't do it for various reasons, but um, I was flattered to have the opportunity um, because, you know, Kimi Räikkönen's been in that car. Now Shane Van Gisbergen's been in that car. I think it's a great opportunity for NASCAR to see different talent. And they obviously run a very good show. Like it's not just a car just because they could. It's a proper car that can win races. And um, so I was so I was texting him during the, the weekend before um, with Shane. I was like, you know, you got a wheel, man. Like I can't wait to see how this goes. And we were chatting throughout and uh, very happy for how that's going. Um, you know, ultimately, like I said, I couldn't be a part of it. But, you know, that's fine. Like, I've got a great situation that I'm in right now. Very happy for how it's going for them and honestly wish them all the best. Do you really think he was going to win at Chicago, though? I, I, yes, I did. I, I, I thought he would have a good chance. I think that was his best chance if he was going to win in his first time. You know, first time everyone had been on a street circuit. He'd been driving them for 15 years. It potentially could rain. He's very good in the rain. He knows those cars very well. It was it was a it was just a perfect storm and but at the end of the day you've got to take that opportunity and Shane did and you know I was like I said I was super happy for him now I think going to Indy I think it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult I think he's gonna have a lot of pressure on himself a lot of pressure from the outside sources and. He's going to have a little target on his back from the NASCAR drivers. I'm sure they're going to use him up and, and and whatnot. We know how they play. And there's a lot of people trying to get in that cut line for the chase. So, you know, I I think he'll be fast. But ultimately, I think this one will be a harder one to win. But if he does win, it's going to put an absolute full stop on Shane being here in the States. Now, switching back to IndyCar, that's also going to be an important race weekend for IndyCar, the Gallagher Grand Prix on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. There's some drivers that really need to either score some race victories or try to close the gap on Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing. Do you see that race becoming very pivotal? Because after that race, there's only going to be three races left in the season. Yeah, I think... That race is pivotal because we know how fast Alex is at the Indy Road Course. So if he does have a bad race there and someone does end up winning, hopefully myself, the Gallagher Grand Prix in the Gallagher car, I would, um, you know, that would be big. Um, so I, uh, I, I think it, we can't, the jury's out for me until the very last race or at least leading up to Portland because like we know, Nashville, anything can happen. Indy, anything can happen. Um, and then you've got, you know, a, a number of races after that, you know, that, that it's just IndyCar, you can't trust it. You can't trust it. And people are going to be going crazy. People are going to be more aggressive. So, and at the end of the day, Alex has created a target on his back because he's been so good. And I have so much respect for that. 
And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly one of those people who have got a lot lot less to lose than he does. So I'm very excited to head there and, and have a crack. Last week, they announced a new course layout and a new race date for the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. It's going to be the IndyCar Series season finale where they will crown the champion beginning in 2024. A new course that's going to go down Broadway past all the honky-tonks and all the bars and all the restaurants through the Nashville Business District. What do you think of the new layout and what do you think of Nashville being the city that's going to celebrate the IndyCar Championship? Look, I, I remember when the Detroit layout come out and it was a very similar kind of feel and everyone was like, oh, that's pretty boring. I feel like they could have made something of that. And then when we got there, everyone was like, oh, it's too technical, it's too tight, it's too whatever. Well, you know, this is, I think it's got the same feel. I'm very excited for this. I think what a place to finish off the 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 year. Um, certainly if I win the championship here, I'm going to have an absolute blast on Broadway and like it's going to be a, an absolute ball terror of a, of a weekend and and I think um, you know being able to have this opportunity where the, the city itself really wants IndyCar I think we should be all very happy of that like they've made it work you know it, this race was very close to not being a part of anything because of the stadium thing and that that would have sucked but for them to build it and and we're still racing across the bridge we're racing down even more iconic streets of nashville it's awesome and i'm uh, i'm super pumped and and uh every time we come here i love it does the entertainment district of nashville remind you more of bourbon street in new orleans or the strip in las vegas <laughs> oh, well i can't talk because i haven't been in new orleans but uh i think uh you know the strip it gives you the vibes of the strip um the lights and how they close the streets and stuff like that um I just can't. I can't imagine it right now what it's going to look like when we're driving past there. I really can't. But I think it's going to be wicked. It's going to be great viewing, um, great for IndyCar, great for Nashville. I'm super pumped. Scott Borchetta of Big Machine Records, one of the owners of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix and a racer himself, has called Nashville the Monaco of the South. Do you believe that's a fitting title now that there's going to be a Grand Prix that's not only going to be in Nashville, through the streets of downtown Nashville, but actually going to be a gem of a race in terms of what it means on the schedule. Well, the difference between us and Monaco, we'll be actually able to pass. So I'm not really stressed. I don't think we should call it that at all. I think it's uh, Nashville is just its own unique type of city. The one thing that's really cool I've seen, like the streets look really wide too. I think there's going to be so many like... Um, opportunities to battle but then you're going to be going past bars for sure that's probably going to have like, like a party feel for sure I, I don't think that's a good comparison I think we can make this even better and, and it's something that I'm really excited to be a part of they call Nashville Music City how much of American country music do you hear in New Zealand not a huge amount but it's now I've lived in North Carolina for three years I've, I've heard my fair share and I know a few of the artists so Look, you know, it's going to be a great year, time of the year, November, um, November, September. It's going to be cooler. Um, like that's uh, that, that's really exciting. And, and I think hopefully we have a lot of the country stars and music stars out here, which would be awesome. Who are some of your favorites? I like Cody Jinks, Zach Bryan, uh, got in Russell Dickerson, Whiskey Myers. Like all the, yeah, there's some really good, good, uh, yeah, big fans. Yeah. Year three of IndyCar, how would you assess your efforts? Uh, it's been good. I think it's been up and down. I think we've had pace every weekend, which is all we can ask for. Um, but we'd like ultimately like to be more consistent. And that's probably what's hurt us in the overall championship. But we sit fifth in the championship with one win. I'd love to get a win, another couple wins before the end of the year. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do that at the Gallagher Grand Prix. Team Penske's done very well at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Will Power and... Prior to that, Simon Pagano were the career victory leaders on that course. What is it that this team is able to do there better than everybody else? Well, the last couple of races there, we haven't been strong. We haven't been strong enough on our on our um, our accord. So we're going there with completely different setup philosophy, and I think we're we're um, excited by that um, from what we've learned. But uh, you know, I think they've just they've hit the nail on the head. But everyone everyone's caught up. So we need to find a different way to separate ourselves again and get back to those days in 2017, 2018, 2019 where we were winning quite easily on those courses and being up the front. So um, ultimately, we'll, uh, we'll keep working here and, and, and hopefully it pays off. How important do you think it is that IndyCar and NASCAR share a weekend together and continue that into the future? I think it's 
I think it's good for both parties. I don't think it's it needs to be one a, a thing that happens all the, all the time. It doesn't have to happen is what I'm saying. But I think when it comes together, I think what they've done and leveraged it is really, really cool from both sides. Um, ultimately, I think we could, that would be awesome to race with them on like an oval weekend. That'd be cool. Um, I think there's a lot of chances where we could grow the sport and motor, of sport of motorsport for both parties. Being able to race together on different events would be really cool. But um, I mean, I'd love to go back and race at Watkins Glen, but they race on the cup course, not the boot, you know, which we would race on. So um, that's, uh, you know, there's so many opportunities that we could do, but they certainly leverage it really well. IndyCar may return to the Milwaukee Mile, which is a very historic oval. Mm. It's got a lot of history in IndyCar going. It's pro it's in fact it's the oldest racetrack, major racetrack in the United States. It opened in 1903. But to be able to go back to Milwaukee with its history and the fact that it would give one more oval to the schedule, how important would that be from your point of view? Well, from a personal point of view, we're very good on short ovals, so I would I would welcome it with open arms. But um, I think it's I think we've got a great market there, um, Milwaukee, Road America. We always have massive crowds go out there. Um, I think adding another oval is 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 welcome. Like I I think all the drivers want more ovals. I think we have a lot of fun on them, and obviously that's DNA of IndyCar racing as well. We you know our diverse nature. So I'm uh, I'm super super excited to you know hopefully be back there. Um, if it doesn't pay off, I know there's been a lot of hard work gone into it to try and make it happen. But um, you know like ultimately more short ovals, more ovals would be great. There's also been discussion of a postseason non-championship race internationally, whether it be Argentina or a lot of people would like to go back to Australia at Surfer's Paradise. But what do you think a non-points race after the season is that? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess it just has to be financially good for the teams and the series itself because ultimately there's a lot of money, money to go over there. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of thirst out there for the IndyCar series outside of America. America's our DNA, America's where we're from, um, and we, we'll never lose that. But to extend ourselves to you know places I've heard of, Mexico, or Argentina, maybe Australia, I don't think we'd ever go back to service paradise, but having the opportunity to race at these different spots, I know for a fact Australia would be crazy. On the weekend, on during the week, I had a chat with some Argentina fans, and they're they're nuts. Like they love our sport. They love you know drivers. They 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 they, they praise them like crazy. Like Canapino is one of the most celebrated sports stars over there. To go there and experience different cultures would be really cool. Um, but like I said, it needs uh, the teams will make the right decision if it you know it needs to be. If we're not racing for points, it needs to be some you know financially stable for us to go across. Monterey, California is going to remain on the schedule. It's not going to be the final race of the season, and it's probably going to be moved to March, although that none of that is official. But how would you feel about having that race earlier in the year? March, at least it's not going to be 110 degrees like it was last year. Yeah, uh, no, I think I think any like moving Nashville to September, it's going to be cool attempts. And I think it's not just us that we've got to talk about, like the like drivers. I think it's fans as well. And I think we'll have more people go out. You know, the the it's it's a big deal trying to get these schedules together. And I, I, I'd hate to do the job. I think Bud Denker, Mark Miles, Roger do a fantastic job at sorting this out. But yeah, look, I... I uh, I welcome any change that improves the the comf comfort in our race cars in terms of temps. <laughs> and we also know you're the best golfer in the IndyCar paddock. <laughs> oh, God, don't tell Rahul that. Where have you played lately, and are you going to get in a few rounds at the Brickyard Crossing? Oh, I always get a few rounds there. You know that, Bruce. But uh, I'll, uh, I don't know. I haven't. Been, where have I played lately? Not. I played up in. I went to a Vermont for a wedding. I played up in Jay Peak, which is a pretty cool spot. Um, real close to Canada there. But I've had a lot of good opportunities to come play out here in Nashville. I'm trying to get on um, Troubadour as well when we we're there. Um, yeah, look, it's a. Uh, yeah, I'm very lucky. I count myself very lucky the amount of places I've played, but I'm planning a massive West Coast trip when I'm there. I'm going to play TPC Harding Park. I'm going to try, I'm, I'm working my butt off to try and get on Cyprus, so we'll see. 
What are some of the golf courses in Charlotte that you've been able to play? Have you played the the course where the PGA Tour event is at? Yeah, I played at Quail Hollow. Um, that's and I actually played there with a friend of mine, Jimmy Johnson. You may have heard of him. Um, so he was he's a good guy. And uh, uh, who else? Where else I played with? I played down in Pinehurst, down North Carolina, like right down South Carolina there. But um, you know, we uh, I'm very lucky the amount of people that I know and the people that can take me on to some amazing golf courses. What do you think of Quail Hollow? Because after all, it is a PGA Tour event. That's tough. It's a beautiful place. Um, you can see why the PGA loves it. And uh, yeah, I've, I, had a, I had a blast out there when I was with Jimmy. And also, I believe you're now a homeowner. Yes. So yep. I'm uh, in what's debt. It, what's it like uh, now that you, you're you putting down stakes in the United States long term? Yep. You're a homeowner, which means um, those property taxes are going to go up. <laughs> yeah. But also, what's it just like now having a place at you and your wife and family can call yeah. your own. Well, my wife's from New York, so I looked at the property taxes there and there ain't no way we're moving there. So yeah. um, the, the, being in Charlotte's nice, being close to the team, but having a place to call our own and, you know, I'm in the garden every every week and, and, and doing my sprinklers and getting them all right, making sure my grass is mint. Um, I love all that and uh, I've missed that a lot. So uh, it's, um, it's certainly a, a lot of fun. What's your specialty in the garden? Oh, just getting those sprinklers tuned up. Uh, you should see my sprinkler system. It's uh, it's unreal. It's on a timer. It comes on 5 a.m. every morning, um, you know, looking after the grass and, uh, and then fertilizing. Um, got a few plans I want to do in the backyard with like a, a patio and a few things for barbecues and fireplace and whatnot. Pizza oven. I'm working on that right now, Bruce. Uh, yeah, but that's the thing with having a house now is like unlimited opportunities to do whatever you want to your house. So um, I've got a wicked spot for watching football this this off season. Um, I'm sure David Hovis, a, a King Panthers fan, will come over and watch with me. Um, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun. Race driver doesn't like to be in traffic. So how do you handle Charlotte traffic when you got to get up to Mooresville to the team shop? There's these express lanes that no one uses, so I go on those. <laughs> but um, the traffic's not great, but I pick my times when I go. I, I make a more of a deliberate effort to get to the shop now. You know, I train up there near Cornelius, so I'm up there every day, but I won't. I think it's been a lot better for my mental health not to go on every day to the workshop and just enjoy it when I can and, and go there for a reason rather than annoying the guys and girls there all the time. So um, I think they enjoy that too. Well, he's a new homeowner and he's one of the best drivers in the NTT IndyCar Series, Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske. Good luck the rest of the season and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you, Bruce. Always a pleasure. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. Welcome back to this week's Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee. Kara Kristalik is the director, Bridgestone Race Tire Engineering and Production, and the chief engineer of the IndyCar program. Bridgestone America's corporate headquarters is located in the heart of the business district in downtown Nashville. Kristolik sat down with Pit Pass Indy for this exclusive, in-depth interview that explains a variety of topics. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-V, is Kara Kristolik, the Director of Race Engineering and Tire Development at Bridgestone Americas, which is the Firestone brand. Important weekend this past weekend at Nashville. It was the one-year anniversary of when the Waiuli compound tire was used as the alternate tire in IndyCar competition. To our listeners, explain why that is such an important step towards sustainability. Yeah, so at Bridgestone, we have some pretty amazing sustainability targets. Uh, when I heard, first heard about the fact that we were going to have 100% renewable materials in our tires by 2050. My first question was, but not race tires, right? <laughs> um, we have been working on different areas of sustainability within the IndyCar tire development. And one area we've been working on for about 10 years, just along the Firestone IndyCar program was this Waiuli shrub. And now what, what is Waiuli? It's a, a small desert shrub that grows in the United States. So it goes, it grows in areas like um, Arizona, um, other areas. It's really, really a resilient shrub. It can grow in areas where you can't grow 
cotton or alfalfa. It takes about 50% of the water, so it's a it's a pretty great uh, little shrub and it, it's a domestic source. To- now, what was the previous rubber process? So right now, the rest of our rubber and all of the road courses, the ovals, and even the Firestone primary tires that we have here at Nashville, um, those all come from a the Havea tree. So Havea brasiliensis, it's where if you get surgical gloves, rubber surgical gloves, it all comes from that same area. So we have this one single source. And if something were to happen to that single source, we wouldn't be able to have surgical gloves, other things, something like a blight or a, a there's lots of things that have actually happened to these trees. So it's a backup source and it's also domestic. It's not coming from Southeast Asia anymore. In addition to the Waiuli tires, I believe Firestone also uses some electric vehicles to transport tires to and from certain race venues. If you could explain that project. Yeah, we've been working really closely with IndyCar about how we can improve sustainability. So not just in the tire. You think the Waiuli at Indianapolis 500, we used a sustainable monomer that was sourced from recycled plastic bags. Um, And here going through looking at all of the different aspects of the the tire, not just how it's made, but how transportation happens. Um, We were able to work with Penske and Indianapolis Motor Speedway to take our tires to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on electric trucks. So it's been something that we started working with Penske last year and we transported the tires for the last last year's event and now we're working on this year's event. How much as the primary and alternate tire strategies really improve the game of IndyCar racing. Yeah, so this is something that we started way back in the Champ Car era era under the Bridgestone name, um, where we had a primary tire that was intended to be nice, durable, consistent, not very much drop off over a stint, and then an alternate tire that comes in that is faster initially, but then has a lot of drop off. Um, And really maintaining that difference in a different compound helps mix up the racing a bit. Um, you have a, it's usually faster in qualifying to run the alternate tires, but when you get to the race, you have some different strategies. I don't think from the amount of time that I've been here, there have been too many times where everybody's on the same tire strategy. So it adds some interest in racing, it adds some passing opportunities that might not have been there. And if you can get the alternate tire right, and if you can get it to completely drop off before the end of a race stint, it's gonna force people to come in early. It's gonna force really a lot of mixed up field. And also this year at the Indianapolis 500, you were very proud of the fact that it was the fastest pole speed ever by an American produced tire, that the previous records were done by tires that were made in Japan. Yeah, that's correct. So if you could explain how that tire process is and really how far away are we from possibly maybe seeing Ari Leyendijk's nearly 30 year record fall. Uh, We were really excited watching, qualifying, um, just looking at the race speeds. And I think uh, a few changes in the car and we can even do a couple things with the tires. Um, Our engineers have been scheming. What if we have a qualifying tire? Um, These are different things that we can do to get to those speeds and to help any car get to those speeds. So, you know, a little bit faster on the the qualifying trim, um, a little bit faster engine. We get the hybrids in, get more power. Uh, There are some really exciting things and I think it's definitely within our reach. You should see the excitement on our oval engineer, Dan Bishop's face when we got close to those those records. It's something that really motivates all of us. what has the reaction been from Roger Penske and Jay Fry to the possibility of being able to achieve a new yes. track record? Uh, um, I haven't talked to them directly about it since the 500, but I am sure it's something that they would be very excited about. Well, you know that the fans at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway loves it, and you're all about technology, but also safety. And when Ari Leyendijk ran his record laps of near 237 miles an hour back in 1996, you had concrete walls. You didn't have Hans devices. Yeah. You safer didn't have barrier. a lot of the safety enhancements that have come in the sport. Now you have safer barriers. You have a safer car. Do you believe the time is right to maybe remove some of the shackles? For us, it would be exciting. Um, at the end of the day, this is IndyCar's call, but we would be all in. I think that's something just to be able to hear those iconic, it's a new track record. All of us would love to hear that. 
Now, getting back to Waiuli, do you find one of the hardest things is uh, in the IndyCar community, we're so used to saying blacks and reds. Now we have to say blacks and greens. Yeah, we're just confusing everybody, blacks and greens. And then having everybody be able to pronounce Waiuli. We, we started with Lee Diffie and we were trying to tell him, okay, it's Waiuli. And then I think after that, everybody got it. So uh, yeah, uh, blacks and greens and, and blacks and reds. It's really the same. The red is the same as the green. The only difference is that rubber, natural rubber that's in the sidewalk. And how proud are you that the performance level of the Waiuli tires is basically the same as the Reds? Yeah, when we developed them, we spent a lot of time developing the compound, making sure we knew exactly how to process it to make it exactly the same on the outside. Uh, we were able to take it and we actually did some testing on primary tires because we didn't want to give anybody an advantage by testing on alternate tires. So we built the green tires, but with a regular primary tread and we tested it right alongside and the drivers didn't notice any difference. And I think the best compliment we could get was when somebody said, uh, Joseph Newgarden, tell us about how these green tires were last year here at Nashville. They, he said, yeah, it was, they were the same. <laughs> and how far away are we from maybe seeing more of the primary and alternate strategies used maybe even on super speedways? I know you've moved to Ooh, short ovals. Yes. But to maybe take that and go to a super speedway, so I think that's a great question, Bruce. And I think one of the important things is we learn from what we do, um, like we did with Wiley. We tried it at one street course last year. We had all the confidence in the world it was going to work because we had tested it. We knew, but we wanted to start with one event and now we're at five events. And if you think of about something like an, uh, an alternate tire for an oval, you know, back in the day we had option tires, we had different staggers teams could use, uh, but we haven't done that in quite some time. It is the process of designing a tire and the right compounds to be able to be successful at a track is a quite an interesting process. I mean, you have to be able to be there on a day that's 50 degrees or, you know, 100 degrees and the tire performance has to be the same. So you have to have a compound that can manage all of the different conditions. Uh, what if it's now bumpier? What if we have a new hybrid and it's going a lot faster. So there's a lot of variables you need to account for. So to be able to design two compounds that are different enough, because if we come with an option tire, an alternate tire, and it's exactly the same as primary, it's not going to be interesting. We've learned from what other series have done and tried to make sure that we have a, a, a significant gap. So we try it at a short oval, especially one that is historically difficult to pass at. And then we learn from that. We go back and look and we retune and decide what we want to go forward. And we do when we to do this next year and then would we see it at ovals i don't think that we would see it someplace like indy it's such a such a historic iconic event i don't think that you want to mess with it but if there are tracks that we're having difficulty getting passing and we need to provide interest for the race fan to get stay more engaged we'll definitely look at it your number one goal and objective is to provide a safe tire but from a competition standpoint you also want one that degrades yes. over the course of its run so for the competition aspect. So how delicate is that tightrope when it comes to designing and creating a tire that does both? So I'm going to say not at all because the safety is always number one and there's not anything that we're going to do that's going to push those boundaries of safety. However, having a tire that has a lot of drop-off um, or too much drop-off, there's definitely a delicate tightrope that you have to walk there because you want to have something that goes off enough. And even before the end of a race stint on some certain tracks, I mean, you look at Iowa a few weeks back, uh, we had a tire that had a lot of drop-off, a lot of degradation. Um, there was a lot of difference between the the leaders on a brand new set of tires and then the people in the back of the pack. So trying to find that that balance of what promotes passing, um, but it doesn't end up with cars that are so slow that you end up with having really high uh, closing speeds. So there is a delicate balance in what we try to make sure that we're able to accomplish there. Bridgestone America's corporate headquarters is in Nashville. How important is the Music City Grand Prix to the brand? Oh uh, yeah, this Music City Grand Prix has been amazing for Bridgestone. Uh, if you go up in the Bridgestone Tower, you can actually look down and see much of the racetrack from up there. And even next year with the the new course that we're going to be seeing, you can see a lot of the that racetrack, you know, from Broadway all the way through over the bridge. So it's it's great. We have a lot of teammates from here. Of course, our engineers are over 
over in Akron, Ohio, which is maybe a little closer to mid-Ohio. Um, but all of our teammates here, we get a lot of people out coming to the racetrack, really seeing what our product does in action. And it's great. You have that emotion from the Bridgestone brand. They can come out and they can say, all right, I work for Bridgestone and Friarstone, and here's our product. And it's something that we're really proud of. And for anybody that went to the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix who may have gone by the Bridgestone America's building, they see a big picture along the side of the building of Kara. And how taken back were you to see yourself in that big of a photo? And also the fact that you're a source of pride for the entire company, what you do. I was, I think somebody must have told me at some point along the way that we were going to have some branding up on the building and there might be a picture of me. I had no idea I was going to be a 30 foot high mural on the side. I came in on setup day on the Thursday of that race weekend and I saw um, somebody came up to me. They said, you're on a building. I said, what do you mean I'm on a building? And he showed me a picture of, send me that. And so I went to the Bridgestone Tower afterwards and I found it and I took some pictures and, and it was it was really funny to me to see that. But I was a little taken aback. Um, normally I might have been embarrassed by something like that, but I ended up looking at it and I thought, all right, I have a very serious look on my face. I'm actually working. This is not a pose picture. So I thought it was pretty cool. It was something that was taken at St. Pete earlier that year. But the Firestone Racing Program, especially in IndyCar, is a perfect example of diversity in the fact that the director of motorsports is Lisa Boggs. You're the head of engineering. You have a lot of diversity on your staff. How important is that in 2023 that a company such as Bridgestone Americas is doing that? We have an awesome team from the motorsports marketing team, communications. Um, our engineering team is awesome. And the one thing that Bridgestone has always done very well is promoting the right person for the right job. So before me, uh, you had Paige Mater and Dale Harrigal. And both of them were very invested in the success of my career. They had always uh, introduced me as uh, somebody who was a, a bright engineer, somebody who was going to go places, um, told people that they needed to listen to what I had to say. So they were really key in the development of my career. And Bridgestone's always, you know, who is the best person for the role? And so when the chief engineer role came open, um, there were a couple people that might have been qualified to do it. But we went through the interview and um, I, I was the one that had the interest and the background and the passion for it. So um, they're always going to promote the best person regardless of who it is. And it just happened to be, and it's very cool that both Lisa and I are in director roles. In 2017, I had an interview with you because it was the 15th anniversary. Well, actually, it was the 10th anniversary, I'm sorry, of when you did your first IndyCar race at Portland in yeah, 2007. Cool. And you had a funny story about the uniform, if you could recall that story for us. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the, the uniforms were all men's uniforms. So I, I tried to put it on and it was just, I, no matter what size I got, I was it was billowing in it. And I, I actually went to my mom and I was like, is, is there any way, like, I know we only have a couple weeks, but can you help me put darts in this to make it a little bit more, a uh, little less ridiculous looking? So she was really sweet and she took the time to help me. Um, I, think, I think she actually did most of the work, but we, we went through and um, made, a, made a uniform shirt that worked a little bit better for me. Well, how did you get that role back in 2007? Because that was a little unique back then. You see a lot of female engineers on IndyCar Series teams now. You didn't quite necessarily see that back in 2007. Yeah, so so how I got that role, um, Bruce, I was just, I was a pain in the butt. I, I found Paige Mater. I knew he led the racing team. And I said, hey, my name is Kara. Um, I love motorsports. I did Formula C in college. I have a background. I took some vehicle dynamics and we just really wanted to, um, I, I just wanted to figure out what the best kind of engineer would be. And he said, nobody's really talked about that with me. And he asked, um, what we, what could we do to be able to, or, you know, I, I asked what, what kind of skills and traits the perfect engineer would have. And he told me, you know, somebody has strong background in vehicle dynamics. Um, and he told me a few other things. So I actually went out and bought textbooks. I studied. So when that race engineer opening came available it's like I had to answer key so it was great I went in they were able to hire me right away because I had all the things that they were missing in the team so that was that was a really great transition um, and just it, it's been great you know when I started there was an engineer that was a, a mechanical engineer for Firestone um, Pam Hall O'Connor that had been there before me um, and there had been other women engineers that had been 
from time to time on timing stands. Um, some female mechanics, Anna Chatton has been around longer than I have. So there's a lot of like here and there and Anna was part-time at the time. Um, but I, I was looking around where are all the other women in, in motorsports. But now you have Kate and Danielle and Angela um, and all Gracie, all of the other mechanics that are, are starting to pop up. And it's it's really good because you see young engineer or young girls at the racetrack. In fact, one came up to me in Nashville last year and eyes were just so big. It's like, you're the engineer and you're running all this thing, all these things. So it's, it's good. I help. Hopefully young girls can see this and see the Angelos of the world and say, I want to do that when I grow up. She not only leads the race engineering program for Firestone, especially in IndyCar, but she's also the cover of the Bridgestone America's building in downtown Nashville. Kara Kristalik, congratulations on the great success that the Firestone brand has had with IndyCar dating all the way back to... 1911. 1911, yep. the very first Indianapolis 500. Good luck the rest of the NTT IndyCar Series season. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee. Thanks for having me, Bruce. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee. We want to thank our guests, Big Machine Music City Grand Prix race winner Kyle Kirkwood of Andretti Autosport, IndyCar Championship leader Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing, Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, and Scott McLaughlin. Also, Colton Hurd of Andretti Autosport, Big Machine President and CEO Scott Borchetta, and Kara Kristalik of Firestone for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental and Hy-Vee, your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. And because of our guests and listeners, Pit Pass Indy, presented by Hy-Vee, is proud to be the winner of the best podcast by the National Motorsports Press Association. And for all of your shopping needs, be sure to visit your local Hy-Vee where there's a helpful smile in every aisle. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.